Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends where you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who's straight cash, homie, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? The fact that we are talking about West Virginia, but we don't get to bring up Randy Moss because he happened to go to the other school in West Virginia, and yes, there are multiple schools in West Virginia, you know, is 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 nothing but sad because Randy Moss is a is a quote meister, and we should have another podcast that just focuses on really awesome receivers who are just old enough to be out of like the Twitter consciousness. Um, I would make it, and I'm sure tens of us would subscribe. The I feel like for people that are like you know even five or six years maybe younger than us, the biggest frame of reference for Randy Moss is the uh, Steve DJ Steve Porter video. The, the one he made for Randy Moss's uh, retirement or his birthday mm-hmm. was that's probably the biggest frame of reference for a lot of people like wow. Randy Moss is just just that dude. And we can uh, air grievances about Marshall and or movies about Marshall later on in the podcast. But we're not here to talk about that. We continue our season preview series with West Virginia. If you can believe it, we are just 16 days from the Texas Longhorns kickoff. And so we are winding down our season preview. We got two more of these, and I feel like we're saving the best for last. We've got the West Virginia Mountaineers up today. And our friends from the Smoking Musket are here. So Andy Facemeyer, one of the columnists, the writers over at the Smoking Musket, is here with us today. Andy, how are you doing today, brother? I'm doing great. We always uh, enjoy these. We uh, I, I've often said on, on various places where people record my words that West Virginia, though the rivalry has been fun, has never fallen into the category of, God, I just hate those stupid guys uh, and in Big 12. And I honestly feel like your Twitter presence and your website have a lot to do with that, because uh, even even when the the horns down trolling and the the general uh, sometimes will greerness of, of it all, uh, I still I still don't hate you. I, I don't I don't I don't hate you. We try to be like <laughs> I love it. I love it. So we are, again, just getting folks on today that are on for the last, I guess, has now been 10 weeks that are going to help us unpack the teens. So we want to start. We didn't do this for the first few weeks, well, because it hadn't happened yet. But we've been asking since it happened, all of our uh, Big 12 friends about conference realignment. So West Virginia is in a little bit of a in a different situation than the rest of the conference because West Virginia, one of the relatively new members and, and uh, geographically joining up with like the Pac-12 wouldn't really fit for them. So like, what's your outlook? What's your view on like conference realignment? Like where the West Virginia fans really feeling uh, with, I guess we're now like a month or so into this. This is my second interview with one of the schools that's involved with us. I talked to the folks over at OU State as well. And you know, this this is kind of old hat for, for West Virginia. Mm-hmm. We've been through conference realignment. Uh, this is like our third or fourth round of it. Um, so it's a little bit like, uh-huh, here we go again. But I feel <laughs> like we, we feel pretty good about where things are because we've, more than any time in, in previous circles, 
it feels like there's an opportunity for us to go where we have always wanted to be, um, which is the ACC. So, like, the answer to that is sort of, like, we're used to this, so it's, like, we're just a lot, like, my, my recommendation for folks is just to, like, zen in the art of conference realignment to a certain extent that, like, your individual agency is really low in this, and, and our agency as a, te- as, a, as a school is still fairly low, so, like, kind of along for the ride. But I would say that overall speaking, you know, if if the end result of this is, is West Virginia's in the ACC, that's awesome. But if if we're also in, like, some amalgam of the American Conference and the remnants of the Big 12 that gets us close to the money that we were making in this conference, it's fine. Perfectly fine. <laughs> like, we never had a love for the Big 12, right? Like, we were happy to be here. <laughs> like, we, we got to punch the ticket and, like, ride that, you know, $30 million or whatever. And so that was fantastic. But it's not like I'm tore up that I'm not going to play Iowa State every year. Like, <laughs> I have no reservations about, like, and, and for us, you know, in, a, in ways, it's, it's like, uh-huh, now we don't have to fly our volleyball team to Waco on a Wednesday night. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I think we feel, I think we probably are the less uh, anxious of any of the folks who are not, you know, who don't have a ride secured yet because i feel like i think we feel like we're we're probably in the better shape of of any of those schools as well just because geographically where we're where we're at and some of the investments that we have made in uh not just the athletic facilities but we've made a ton of and we've really the, the athletic department i i i say this not trying to like be a fan even but that our athletic department has made some really smart moves in how they have invested the money that we have gotten from being in, a con- in this conference into our uh, into our facilities, so that when you come to so that when the conferences come and look at us, they don't go. About that, um, you know, they see top class facilities in you know everything. So I think that's a big a big bonus for us is where we're at. Um, you know, and I, I've written about this. You know, I think if you're, there's some schools that should be rightfully terrified of what, where they're going to end up at, but I don't yeah. feel like we're, we're one of those. I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right that the perspective that you have is, is so very different than a lot of the folks who, who went through a, a Southwest um, kind of SWC days that came from the Texas uh, school and, and, you know, that was terrifying enough and TCU still holds grudges for not getting into the initial big 12. And there's, there's a lot of, um, animosity around realignment i do like you know probably our our podcast first uh robert piercing reference with the the zen and the art of realignment that's uh one of my favorite books and, and you're certainly made one of my top favorite references but uh yeah I, I, you, you somehow again i think it's it is it is exactly right that west virginia obviously as you said have been through it a lot but but there really is no down. You, you are survivors in the true most uh, most Appalachian sense of the word. You're gonna just kind of uh, you're gonna you're gonna ride it out. And you're gonna be okay. Obviously, if it ends up with an a with an ACC, you know, uh, I, I do think that the the Oklahoma State West Virginia game versus the Oklahoma State uh, or excuse me the the West Virginia Pitt game one might have a little bit more uh, historical animus and and velocity to it. So I understand that. Um, is there a single 
uh, team who, who, who you want to see just like, I'd like to play them every year. I would, I mean, it's basically the whole ACC. Like I, I want us <laughs> to have it on the schedule. I want us to have Virginia tech on the schedule every year. Like there's so much history engaged with those games. We played Virginia mm-hmm. tech every year for 60 plus years mm-hmm. Pitt for over a hundred Syracuse. We played for 60 years. So like, those were historical rivalries and they went back for like decades. And so now that those are no longer on the schedule, like it just doesn't mean like I will be quite frank. And we've talked about this on at smoking Moscow is that it's just not as easy. Like it's not, I don't, I don't care as much. I just don't, it's not for whatever reason. And, and it plays out in a lot of ways, like for our fans, I think. So I would, I would love to see us have, you know that that old Big East schedule back on the menu, back on the menu, because yeah. I just think it was, it, it it's great. It, you know, it's great football. It's what college football is about for our fans. They could go to a couple of away games for the price of one Big Twelve road game, right? Like the closest school to us is in conference. Like probably actually the cheapest road game for a WVU fan to go to is probably TCU or maybe you guys, uh, wow. depending on, you know, just airline tickets. Um, Cause like, if you're flying into Iowa, uh, you know, it's not like, and Oklahoma is not bad, but it's not a major, you know, it's not a huge, huge airport in Oklahoma city. And you still have to drive down to the, you know, Will Rogers world airport is not a, uh, not world. a great travel destination. Uh, it's a great name though. Great. Name incre- incredible name. Let's let's talk about the on-field stuff, right? Because that's really it's it's football's right around the corner. West Virginia quarterback Jarrett Dagey, who had a really incredible year last year, he finished what second in the conference, I think, in passing yards, and so he decided to take the extra year. Um, he struggled when he was under pressure, but uh, when he had a clean pocket, he was you know eighty percent uh, according to the advanced stats when you look at it, and so. Uh, really? What are the expectations <laughs> for him? What are the expectations? And you're, you're laughing. So I want to hear like, what, what's what are the expectations for him this year? I, I think the expectation is that he may not finish the season as a starting quarterback. <laughs> um, I, and it's hard. It, it, it's, I, 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 I had not realized that his stats were that good because it never felt that way. Um, although part of that was like other, there were other things going on with the offense that caused that to be a little bit of a problem. Uh, the uh, Our offensive line unexpectedly being made out of paper when ostensibly the offensive line was going to be the strength of that team last year uh, was quite shocking. So I think, yeah. you know, I think Day, I think Davey has the parts to be a really good court, to be good and to be serviceable. I'm not sold that he is the answer. Um, I think he's going to be the starter. I, I think, I think I've seen enough of, of Neil Brown now to see that he um, has one of my least favorite traits in a coach. It's, it's admirable, just not one that I'm a big fan of, which is that he's in love with his starting quarterback and that it takes a lot to lose one's starting quarterback status. Um, but that's you know why he is paid a lot more money than I am to be <laughs> the, the coach. Um, but in the spirit of your question, though, what I would say is I think that the expectations are if he does win the job and keeps it, you know, that he has another real, that he, he improves on last season, right? That he did make some questionable decision making, 
he was not great when he got, as you said, if he got flushed out of the pocket, I think he held on to the ball sometimes a little bit too much too. Um, and his deep balls, he needs to really work on that. That yeah. was something we really lacked. We just could not, we, we could not open anyone up. Like we could, we just did not have that ability last year to, to put the, take the pressure off of, off of the, 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 the line and the running game by being able to just slice you apart downfield, which is something that we've always had and have had under, uh, under Brown too. And that we have really great wide receivers, but I would say too, he often did not get helped out by his wide receivers. We were like, drop you a lot last year. We, we, there were a lot of like, just not being helped out by his, his wide receivers. So I would say that like, again, I think Garrett Green is going to give him a pretty good run for his money. Um, and is probably the eventual guy who will, will end up with the, the takeover. Um, so we just, it's curious. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I don't really like care one way or the other. Uh, if it's, I'm not like, I don't, I don't have a side. I'll say, put it that way. So I think that's the improvement of being able to run the offense efficiently. Uh, we had a lot of times last year where the defense would give the offense, like was bailing the, the bailing the offense out. So definitely have to be more efficient with the ball, have to be able to score. Yeah, and I think you said it. They actually had the fifth. I looked it up. Fifth most drop passes in in the FBS last year. So it was, uh, it was bad. <laughs> not helpful. And the stats are a little misleading because I think his deep ball percentage was one of the worst in the country. But he also was like eighth in the most pressured throws when he threw deep. So I think you, you really kind of said it. Whoever the quarterback is, whether you know the the man who sounds like a uh, a blockchain coin or uh, his his backups, whoever it is that takes. Uh, over, they're really going to be as successful as a relatively young offensive line, like you referenced, supposed to be a strength last year, um, having to break in a couple new starters. What What is the outlook this year for that offensive line? I think it's, I think that, it, that one of the things about last year was that it ended up being a lot of the younger players who played the best offensive line play of the whole year. Like when we were successful, on offense, that was what was strange was that you had this really senior seasoned offensive line of like tons of starts, but like for whatever reason, it just seems like we, they, they, I, I don't know what the problem was. Like and that, and that was the, that was actually probably one of the hardest things to like figure out about that team was like, I could watch them and still like be baffled by like what was <laughs> happening on offense. It reminded me of, early rich rodriguez football which was really painful <laughs> um and he and and to be fair neil is running more of that kind of a spread option offense it's not a spread option but the the blocking scheme and what he's trying to do with horizontal stuff is closer to that than what we were doing under dana but this was year two so i didn't expect as much of that like offensive line trouble um, so I think that the young offensive line, you know, they will struggle some, but I feel like they will make a pretty good, that there will be a jump in them or, or at least if there isn't there, there's going to be problems. Um, so I think that the hope and expectation is they continue to improve, pick up where they lo- left off last year. Like I felt like the army game, we actually were, were 
relative the second half of the army game uh in the bowl game we were actually pretty good um and we had moments where we were pretty good throughout the season so i think it's just putting together a string of of being consistent the offensive line touches so many areas of the game right like texas is experiencing that currently because it's like is Bijan going to be as good as he can because is the offensive line going to be good right and so that's a, this, a similar situation for west virginia with letty brown who was second in the conference in rushing last year the guy's a, a bona fide stud at running back but the offensive line situation being what it is could impact his ability to produce. And so what does the offensive line situation mean for him? And how was he able to even overcome it last year to be as successful as he was? So we were actually fairly decent in run blocking. It was like a reverse. It was like Neil Brown's first year, we could not run block anything. Like we had forgotten how to run block. Um, and then last year we had forgotten how to pass block. So we actually, so I, I think that, Letty is really good, and I, I anticipate him covering some holes in, in what's going on with the, the rest of the offensive line. But to that point, one of the other really interesting things that I noticed for us was our pace. When we actually were moving at a pretty good clip, when we really picked up that pace, our offense worked better. And when we tried to slow things down, it just it looked awful. So I think that was another thing. And so I'm curious to see how that plays out. But when you're, when you're doing that kind of pace work, you know, Letty's going to need some help. You know, Letty sort of has that senior, he has that role locked down as the starter. So it's really about, you know, who's going to be, who's going to be, who's going to step up and be that, that second guy. Right. Cause we did have some transfers out, you know, and so you're going to have to see, you know, which of these, you know, guys comes up and, you know, steps up. I think uh, the, the reports so far from summer from the summer camp has been uh, Tony Mathis Jr. has been uh, really good, um, and so he's you know kind of started to show out. Um, and he's a he's the red he's a sophomore a redshirt sophomore um, where the rest of them are you know either fresh true freshman or redshirt freshman at the running back position. So I think the biggest thing for me is how how we can't be totally dependent on Letty, right? So how can people step up and help? take some pressure off of of that part of the game uh, for him. And so, again, I think it comes back to the offensive line and can they run block and pass block? Like, I think that's the, that is the question for Neil Brown in, in, in this year is can we finally put both phases of that together for the offense? And moving to the, to the other side of the ball, then to the defense, I think that, like you mentioned, was a unit that, that was the more consistent of the two bailed the offensive out uh, offensive unit out multiple times last year. Um, one of the best scoring defenses in the country. Um, yeah, a lot of talent on that unit last year, a lot returning, but there are some guys who we know won't be there. Obviously the NFL claimed a couple with Darius Stills and Tony Fields, uh, Dreshawn Miller to Auburn, Tyke Smith to UGA. Um, does this unit, are they in a, a, a reload, a, a just kind of gentle shift, and you still expect the same type of production? What what are your general thoughts to, uh, on the defense heading in? And so it was a little bit of a surprise, though, how good that defense was last year. That was certainly not something that you thought they could have an opportunity but not be, like, one of the best units in the country, right? And so I'm curious to see, and also some changes in, in, in coaching personnel and what, a, what does a difference maker, you know, how does that play out? 
But I think you've still got a lot of really, really good talent. You've got X-Ray Lowe, uh, Josh Chandler, Samito, Alonzo Adai. Um, you know, there's still a lot of talent on that team. So it's going to be, it's going to be a mix. And I think for us, we're going to know who WVU is within by, by the end of September. Like there's, you're going to like, we're going to know what kind of a team we are. So I feel like that we'll know some of those things pretty quickly, but yeah, I think that that's going to be a big question is how, you know, can, can that group, you know, replicate that magic with some of the staff turnover as well as like you mentioned you know losing you know Darius um was a big hit but you know I don't I don't blame him a bit for for going ahead and going to the NFL um you know no no hard feelings on this side um but I think that'll be something we have to like address uh I am curious I think the secondary um is pretty good the linebacking I think the linebacker core is really good uh, curious to see what the defensive line looks like. I think that's going to be where we we have to make the, the biggest adjustments. Um, so we'll see. As we wrap up the the football portion of the conversation today, um, what I'd like to know is just like we we've hit on a lot of different things. But as you look at the season, as you look at West Virginia, like what is like your storyline you're watching and like what would make a successful season for you? Like if we look back at the end of the year and you feel like West Virginia did what it needed to do, what does that look like for you? So I think, I think for Neil, he really needs to build on what happened last year. Um, You know, finishing with a bowl win, which we have historically been hard to come by at WVU uh, beat a very good army team. I, I actually, fully expected us to just get armied, um, you know, to get triple option to death. And we, we actually played really, really well in that game defensively. And then, you know, found it in the second half offensively and came back and won it. And so um, I think for us, it's a matter of continuing that improvement. I think we need to make a serious challenge for the big 12 title in some fashion. I, I don't want to say that he needs to beat Oklahoma because um, I, I hate to I hate to say things are must win like that, particularly against what's probably going to be the number one or two team in the country um, when we roll into you know into Norman. Um, but I think for for certain he needs to we need to be competitive against Oklahoma. Um, probably need to beat either or both you and Iowa State. Um, and probably at least be competitive against Oklahoma State and or beat them. Um, and I think it's going to be important to win one or both of the, the two uh, big non-conference games. Um, you know, we have Maryland. Uh, as our, we open against Maryland. I won't, uh, I won't give you all too much pain by talking about Maryland. <laughs> um, but we open against Maryland, um, and that has historically been um, – a, a determinant game for WVU football over the years. If you, you go back and look, when we play Maryland, if we lose to Maryland, it is very rare that that is a, a good season, just like statistically speaking. So I think, you know, getting off, getting, getting a win there, having our first true rivalry game on campus since 2012. So the first time in almost, 10 years, we have a, a true rivalry game on campus um, with Virginia Tech. So 
I feel like, you know, you've got to win. I hate to say that, but I feel like we need to almost be three and zero going into that Oklahoma game. Um, and so, like I said, I think that we need to be in that like eight and four, nine and three, 10 and two range. And I, I'm not sure if that's a realistic, not sure how realistic that is to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but I feel like he needs to make, he needs to show um, a theory of the case, basically, is what I would say. That this isn't quite a make or break year for, for Neil Brown yet. Um, we're, not, we're nowhere near that. But he does need to show, like, theory of the case and that we are moving in the right direction toward being competitive. Um, and I, WVU doesn't need you to win the conference. You don't actually need to win the conference, but we need to be competitive in it. Um, you know, I think that was some of the frustration with Dana was that it felt like we reached a plateau. We that we could we needed to be challenging for the conference title, and we we just weren't. You know, we we had and we had that we should have been like we had the talent to have been. Um, and so Neil has kind of gotten a little bit of a pass because he the cupboard was bare his first year and made some progress. So I feel like, like I said, I think he needs to show a theory of the case that we can be competitive against, you know, that we're not going to get smoked by Oklahoma. Um, that we're not going to, you know, and we've been very competitive against everybody else in the league. Oklahoma is like the, the only people we have beaten. So like I said, I, bet, I don't think he needs to, to win in Norman, uh, but we need to be competitive in Norman and we need to come out of September at the very least two and two. Um, but preferably we come out of come out of September three and one. Because if, if we're if we're like one and three, it's gonna be a long season. <laughs> it, it's gonna be a very long season. As, as two uh people you're talking directly to, and of course our millions uh, of listeners uh, on here, we can all agree that um, a, the judge of a good season uh, does not begin with uh, losing to to Maryland. So <laughs> I think we're we're all aligned with with starting it off uh, strong. But let's let's go ahead then. Let's uh, let's move it into the reason that people come to listen to this very podcast section this year. We're calling shooting from the hip. We're going to get out of the prepared materials. Just. Get you on your toes, live wire, live fire. So, Gerald, uh, I'll give you the honors if you want to start us off. So, you mentioned off the top that you were hopeful or uh, hopeful that West Virginia would end up in the ACC, and I think that would make the most sense. So, I want you to take a moment and I want you to make your case. If we were in the S, the ACC, and we were we were interviewing you to be a member of our illustrious conference, what would how would you pitch? West Virginia to us. We have great facilities. We're located near all of your folks. We're one of only three programs to be top 20 uh, in all-time wins in men's basketball and college football. Uh, we're a competitive team in, all, in, in every sport that we are in, and we aim for that. And we have historical rivalries with, with you know, half your conference and have long-term you know, historical rivalries uh, with with other members of your conference, so we're a cult, great cultural fit. Our academics have improved immensely uh, thanks to Gordon Gee uh, efforts by Gordon Gee and President Clement, who's now at Clemson. Uh, so we have a lot of cultural ties to the region. Um, you know, your conference encompasses most of Appalachia. We're 
we're right there. Uh, so we have a lot of historical ties. We also have a lot of alumni in your states. So North Carolina has tons of West Virginia alumni. Uh, we proved that by selling out uh, multiple tire bowls over the years. <laughs> but also, you know, had a game in Charlotte that was well attended by uh, lots of WVU fans as a, as a neutral site game. So, you know, we're, we're, we're a good fit for the ACC in so many ways, um, you know, both historically and current. And it would just it makes the most sense. <laughs> Not that these things often make sense, but you know, I feel like we make we make a lot of sense for the ACC. Um, and you know, think about the streaming rights for all of the backyard bras and all of the. You want people to buy the ACC network? Got your way to get it. <laughs> uh, you, you bring up an interesting point, obviously, because uh, Pitt there. But just thinking about the entire conference, this is my only rebuttal as ACC commissioner. I don't know if there's any hand signs in that conference to be inverted upside down. So I don't know. Well, that well, might we've be got a, lots of other things that we can do. <laughs> I mean, so I can't hear the word. I can't hear "Sweet Caroline." in public because I have to really watch myself by law, I think required to scream eat pit. So, <laughs> we've got you covered good. in other That's, ways. It's cult- culturally. I love it. That's fantastic. All right. So um, because of the time and the shifting landscape, not only obviously realignment and conferences, but we're also going through the name and image likeness kind of transformation of college sports in general. So not necessarily just football, but it certainly can be football. Think back all time to the great Mountaineers uh, who, who you've had, either great personalities, great players uh, connected to the community, whatever it is. If you had to pitch it, could be time machine nil could exist in this scenario your all-time west virginia mountaineer partnership with a business if you had to pitch it all-time nil who would it be and and why there's some really great options for this um for a variety of reasons some good (laughs) some bad because i could just you know like i'm just like trying to imagine all of the various options that, that are available to this uh, and that we've had some great names over the years. Um, but I'm going to say that the, the you know, and, and, you know, for basketball, we have, we've freaking had the NBA logo as, you know, one of our it's big, you know, alum. So we, we've kind of, you know, that one's a, that one's Jerry West is obviously like a, an easy one, but I would say, you know, major Harris is another one definitely would have deserved the opportunity to get the NIL money. Uh, I'm, I'm all for it. I, you know, I, I feel like that the players, this is a long time coming. And, you know, a WVU player is actually at the heart of a lot of this. So Sean Alston is a WVU alum, alumni. Um, and a lot of the, the, a lot of this comes out of things that were out of our control, but it was like that the NCAA was telling us. So yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great options. And my brain is like completely blanking on the dude. Owen Schmidt, Owen Schmidt oh, and like oh, a oh, beer oh. truck would be like <laughs> the best. That's the dude was like a rolling beer truck. That's he really owns a bar in Morgantown, <laughs> which is even more fantastic. It's like this, like country western bar. It, is it just called like Schmitty's or something? It feels like it's. It, it's, um, it's it's called like Schmidt. I think it is called like Schmidt's. It's been. Yeah, I don't live yeah. in Morgantown anymore, and so 
I can't like quite tell you things as much as I used to. Sure. There, there was a moment in my brain when you said basketball that I thought you were going to say Kevin Pitsnog and whatever the, the largest local <laughs> tattoo shop was, but. <laughs> well, that would be good. Or even, <laughs> even he could sell deodorant. No. <laughs> I'm glad you, you went putty with much, it. Though, I have, I have, I have a marketing people. background, so <laughs> it, it just goes downhill from there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So uh, let's let's talk a little bit more on just ridiculous things. Um, And we mentioned Pitt just a moment ago. Rank your most hated rivals. So we've got Marshall, Virginia Tech, Pitt, UVA, the four that we picked. Which one do you hate the most? So I would say UVA is not even a real rival for us. We very rarely play them in any sport. Um, which is surprising. I would actually love to see us play UVA. I would love to see us have UVA and Kentucky on the schedule regularly. Um, and Marshall's like our little brother. So <laughs> feel about Marshall about the way you guys probably feel about Baylor. No, not even like <laughs> SMU. Okay. Or Rice. Rice. Okay. You know, they're just there. They've never beaten us in football, you know. Um, they were an FCS school. They have delusions of grandeur. It's Pitt. <laughs> it's absolutely Pitt. And, and Virginia Tech is close. And, and it's actually interesting because if you, a lot of people who are closer to my age would say Virginia Tech because for most of my lifetime, Pitt was not, the Pitt game was not super competitive. We, we, mm had won the pick game more often than we had lost it. Um, but the Virginia Tech game had gotten really, really competitive. Um, and so they would say Pitt or Penn State. Uh, Penn State's definitely like an old rival. Oh. Um, that's that's one that I'm glad we're going to see back on the schedule again soon. Um, and Penn State. Penn State's interesting, though, because we lost to them for like 40 straight years. <laughs> so it's, it was like one of those really, you just really hate them kind of things. Um, yeah, so I would say Pitt. Pitt's definitely the the, the most hated. Um, absolutely, and, and because the most traumatic sports moment for most WVU fans involves Pitt. Yeah, in the game that didn't happen, it was canceled due to the war. Um, Thirteen to nine never happened. <laughs> <laughs> never happened. Uh, sports revisionism is one of my favorite hobbies. I get it. <laughs> I think we'll we'll close on on this one, which it's honestly not fair. I, I actually was going to throw Texas Tech in your your rivals, um, just because you know I I don't know if people actually realize the the uh, the battle for uh, or I'm just going to call it the John Denver Bowl. Um, he obviously went to Texas Tech. He is the beloved, cherished hero of West Virginia, but um, obviously Country Roads. It is it is maybe the most iconic single song that's actually like a popular song associated with a university we all love it i'm gonna ask you today my dear friend to name me the best john denver song that's not country roads oh uh, probably <laughs> rocky mountain high okay you, you were ready i wasn't sure if it was literally just one that's all we have all right no, i okay. have i have thoughts about this i have lots of thoughts about this um one of my biggest pet peeves is the colorado rapids will sing take me home country roads and replace West Virginia with Colorado. And I'm like, y'all oh. have your own song, folks. <laughs> so yeah, I would, uh, but uh, yeah, Country Roads is, is great. But yeah, Rocky Mountain High, probably. 
um, would be my solid number two. Andy, we really appreciate your time tonight, man. So if people want more of what you got, where can they find you on the internet? Um, so I'm on uh, Smoking Musket. Um, I'm also on Twitter, Scott's Boy Andy. Um, and follow me for all of the hot takes. A um, lot of Premier League soccer lately. Uh, but, uh, yep. And I write mostly about basketball, but I'll, I write about football as well. So you can look forward to that. Have some hot takes about bowl games coming up as we, we start that watch. Uh, bowl games and power rankings. Love it. Who uh, who's your Premier League team? So the folks know whether to follow. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan, so I am I am used to pain. Although I <laughs> joke with them that like these Premier League fans, they don't understand college sports prepares you for pain <laughs> and agony in a way that they just cannot fathom. <laughs> there's something about the Americanness of it all. Like and Tottenham might be the closest to the cusp, but I feel like everything below the Tottenham line fans are just happy to be there. Like there really isn't, there aren't Burnley fans who think like this is the year we win it all. Um, But there are college football fans of about 60 different teams, even though there's really realistically like three that might win a championship, but like, this is it. We have a new new wrinkle in our offense, and this is. I just feel like the the Premier League, the the beauty of it is that there's like Aston Villa and these teams are just like, man, we are thrilled to be ninth, like eleventh. Great year, you know. We loved it. We had a good time. And, the, the, and I agree. And it's that level of zen that I that I encourage college football fans to embrace. <laughs> like if you are if you are Kansas, I you know you have fun. It's basketball season for y'all to, to care about. <laughs> You're not winning. You're not winning a national championship. The same goes for like conference realignment. Like, okay, Oklahoma State. I'm I'm sure that if you were going to get into the SEC, you still weren't getting into the national championship. So just enjoy the ride. Like if you're in the <laughs> American Conference, it doesn't matter. You have about the same chance of getting in the playoffs in the American Conference as you did in the Big Twelve. <sighs> Wise words. <laughs> I love it. Andy, thank you again so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Always a pleasure. All right, always fun to have our friend Andy on. Let's go, Gerald, now to the section of the show. We talk about what we are watching on our giant screens. Godzillatron, Gerald, what are you watching? I did a lot of streaming this last week, actually. So like most of you, I uh, kept up with Marvel's What If. Marvel's What If was great. Captain Carter incredible i love the perspective is really cool the animation style is really cool uh ted lasso um of all of the episodes that i've seen and all the episodes of ted lasso are close to perfect this one might be the closest to perfect this last one really 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 good um we watched the peanuts movie from 2015 my son is obsessed with like snoopy because he thinks he's a big slapstick comedy guy and snoopy is all about slapstick comedy um it's the it's a 2015 like animated thing like charles schultz kids wrote the script it was really actually really good really touching um inter- it has really good things to say about like just giving people a chance to be different than the person that you expect them to be so it's really really cool really interesting uh and I had a good time with it and then we didn't record on our normal night of recording and so uh on monday night i was feeling under the weather i've got kids that don't sleep and when i you know sleep enough you get sick right so i was feeling under the weather cows having computer issues and so my wife and i on monday watched the uh, malice at the palace documentary on netflix and it is one it's an incredible documentary and it tells like the human side of really the three key players in that from the from the pacer side of things um you get to hear kind of from their perspective and a lot of like 
it was one of the times I think I can remember earliest in my life that like the 24 hour sports news cycle, like created a story and they, we like, it kind of dives beyond like what the narrative was that ESPN was feeding to us at that point about these crazy thugs that, you know, sparked a brawl. And it looked at like the criminal investigation where it found that like, you know what? Ron Artest was completely in his right to punch that dude in the face because he stepped up to him in, in anticipation of a fight. So it's really, really interesting. And like seeing the growth of, you know, now meta world peace, but uh, Ron Artest and him talking about his mental health issues and like we got his mental health so stinking wrong and just made it worse on the guy. And Jermaine O'Neal reflecting on like how his career kind of got derailed because of it. It's like really, really interesting. So some good stuff. My wife, not a sports person, and she absolutely loved it. Like watching her, she she didn't remember that event. She was a big sports fan when when that happened. So watching her relive the event, like they built the tension to the fight really, really well. And like, she was like curling up, like knowing what was about to happen. So it's really, really well done documentary. Uh, not one to watch with the kids. Cause they don't censor the NBA players, you know, cussing at each other and, and swearing during the fight and those types of things. And obviously it's just very violent. Cause it's about a fight. So like, but it's a really incredible documentary, really incredible. Some of the more interesting, like uh, not necessarily the biggest names, one of the biggest events, but interesting names involved in it. Uh, obviously, Captain Jack, for all Spurs fans, listen to this. Uh, Steven Jackson had an interesting career in addition to uh, Ron Artest, their journeys. Uh, interesting with some similarities. I have not seen the documentary. I added it to my queue, uh, but I definitely will watch them. And also, again, Jermaine O'Neal. How is his connection to this podcast? Well, it's his daughter played soccer at the University of Texas. Um, excuse me, played volleyball at the University of Texas. Um, so... You make me jealous every time you talk about Ted Lasso. I'm going to get to it for season two, I promise. Uh, Gerald, I started a show that hopefully will make you jealous. I actually started at the beginning of quarantine with my wife. She wasn't for her, um, and I just let it go, always knowing I would get back to it. And so I did actually dive deep into Deadwood, um, which Ooh. is a show that <laughs> good, which is a show that that all of my closest friends who I respect their opinion on on TV and a lot of like critics and, and writers who I appreciate their opinion. Everyone just kind of was like, yeah, it's great. One of the better shows made. It's great. You know? And um, I could see why my wife was kind of out initially. It has like a, like a, a, a roughness and a gruffness and a grotesqueness kind of it's, it's unpolished intentionally, um, especially in the beginning. Um, but the more you get sucked into the world, the the better it is. And so I'm now in, in season two. Um ugh. Man, Tim, Timothy Oliphant, love that guy. Ian McShane, just unbelievable. There's probably not ever been a character written quite like the character he plays in Deadwood. Just to just in in all time immersing. I'm I'm waiting until I'm done and watching the movie to reserve my judgment on Pantheon ranking and status. But uh, Deadwood has has been fun so far. And then speaking of fun, uh, rewatched a movie that was. It didn't hold up. It is not like what I would call good and like relevant. And if it was released today, we would all love it. But man, it was great when it came out. And man, it's still fun. It's a tight 97 minutes of action, comedy, ridiculousness, all packed in. Of course, I'm talking about worlds colliding, Chinese super cop, bumbling LA African American cop, rush hour baby. Watch the original. Rush Hour may have to come back and get a second helping because it was terrible, but I loved it. Um, 
it's it's a classic film I probably had not seen in 15 years. So the exact opposite of 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 uh deadwood i don't think anyone is is heaping praise on rush hour but but uh if you just want you know if you want to revisit something that's easy action you'll get a couple belly laughs you'll laugh at how ridiculous it is it's it's not bad it's not bad to 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 pop in there are movies that don't necessarily age well as far as content goes and, and like you probably shouldn't have joked about that but uh it's still like it, it's one of those time capsules to a different time, a different place uh, in a different season. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the Internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at G.H. Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook em. Hook em. Mayor E.B. Farnham is a great